Welcome. This sermon podcast is a production of Refresh Community Church, where Dr. Carlos Smith is our lead pastor. Our vision is to see our hearts refreshed by Christ's presence, our relationships renewed for Christ's purpose, our lives rebuilt by Christ's power, and our communities restored by Christ's people. We pray that you are blessed by today's message, and we look forward to seeing you in person soon. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 27. So if you have your Bibles, if you would stand with me in reverence for God's Word. Luke chapter 6, verse 27 through 31. And when you have it, give me an amen. 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 Luke 6, 27 through 31. And if you don't have it or can't find it, all love, we'll have it on the screens. Here's the reading of God's word. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. Hallelujah. And for one who takes away your cloak, Do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from who who takes heat for one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. Then as you wish others that others would do to you, do so to them. This is the word of the Lord. God, we thank you for your word. God, and we pray that as we hear your words, God, these are heavy words. These are hard words. God, we pray that you would allow them to pierce our hearts and speak to us and call us to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may have your seats. Before we jump into the message, um, I know we already had one video, but I got a a quick video announcement uh, before I jump into the message that I would like to play from one of my brothers in Christ. So can you focus on the screens as you hear this announcement from one of our brothers in Jesus? Turn to, about to take communion, hallelujah. I don't think I can add to what Brother Toby said. Uh, That's the word of the Lord. Amen. (laughs) Oh, man. You know what's so funny to me about that video, y'all? If y'all don't know who Toby is, man, he's a whole Christian, okay? (laughs) Like, this this is not a a secular artist. He's a Bible-believing Christian. Um, And I just think he captured my spirit when I read this passage all week. I was like... Yeah, I mean, I read, look, y'all, I, 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 I researched this mug every which way, man. I was, and I was like, let me get out my Greek lexicon, because slap just can't mean slap. Maybe this means tap in Greek. <laughs> like, I, I, like, I read that mug in 19 lexicons. I'm like, well, okay, slap means, like, this can't mean cheek. I found out that not only can mean cheek, it can mean jaw. It got worse. I was like, wait a minute, they can punch you in the jaw. Wait a what? You know, I... I, I just, I just, uh, you know, it was tense studying this, you know. Um, but I, I think what's funny about it is that we all read this with that tension. It ain't just me and Toby. I, I know. Um, and I just love that they just gave voice to it, like that we all feel that, like Jesus. Now, I'll follow you. I'll, I'll take the virgin birth. I'll take the death on the cross. I'll take the resurrection. I'll take Jonah in the whale. I'll take Noah's Ark. I'll take it all. But folks slapping me... Um, <laughs> It's just a dissonance that I'm not ready to, to, to deal with. But that visceral reaction that we have to that piece of instruction, I think is exactly what Jesus wants. I, I think because he, as I was like fighting with God about this, because I, I had just, I couldn't even see the rest of the scripture. I'm just like, I ain't getting slapped. That's all I know. Don't, hey, hey, hey. 
I don't know, my sanctification up there. And the Lord said, calm down, son. Uh, read the, the actual verse. I don't say slap first. I say, well, what'd you say first? Because it better be better than slap. And, he, <laughs> and I read what he said first, and I actually think it's worse than a slap. And what he says first is love your enemies. Love your enemy. The slap is later. We get hung up on getting slapped and what, what ain't finna happen. But he starts on something that I would argue is harder than the slap. Because here's the truth about the slap. Some of us are less inclined than others to be physical anyway. Some of us like, well, somebody slapped me, I'm just falling on the ground. Not a big deal. Some of us, <laughs> some of us that are from certain zip codes like 313 and 314, it's just, there's more of a dissonance. But all, some of us, all of us that may not be more physically inclined, we all can wrestle with this loving our enemies. Now, now, now I started, I, I did real careful linguistic work here because I wanted to make sure Jesus was saying exactly what I thought Jesus was saying. And it turns out that the more I dug in, the worse it got because enemies were not just folks who get on your nerves at work. They're not just your mystical haters. Everybody think they got haters. Half the world ain't thinking about you. I'm sorry. Y'all listen to them folks. Yo, half your folks ain't thinking about it. But these ain't just people who irritate you a little bit. These are people who want to destroy you. These are people who want to maim you. These are people who want you, your children, and your posterity to suffer. These are not merely people who are irritants, but these are people who want to do you bodily harm. And what Jesus says is far more radical than we can even get our hands around. A slap in some ways is the least of it. He says that I want you to love the people who want to destroy you. And none of us, whether we like to be physical or not, feels like doing that. Even if we don't hit back, we show can hate back. And it don't take us lifting a hand. And Jesus says, don't get hung up on a slap. Know that I want you to love your enemies. And I, I dug into this word love because I said, surely this can't be that well-known Hebrew or Greek word agape that points back to the Hebrew word hesed that has to do with unconditional, self-giving, self-sacrificing love for people who hate me. And would you believe, lo and behold, that's exactly what it's saying here. I would submit to you that this is easily Jesus' most difficult command, which is why he starts the sermon with it. You see, the, bless, the, the Beatitudes and the woes are just his introduction before he gets to the heart of his sermon on the plane. And this is the beginning of the sermon proper. And what he says is that I want you to love those who want to destroy you. And he says this is hard. This is difficult. This is a challenge. Um, it's much easier. Listen, I would much rather believe anything that is, because we think about it, you know, you can say, okay, fine, I'll take the Trinity. Don't fully understand it, but I can take it. Okay, fine, I'll take the resurrection from the dead. Don't fully understand it, but I, I, I'll take it. I'll take creation ex nihilo, and I'll make mental and esoteric and spiritual assent to all these concepts and ideas, but Jesus will not allow us to retain a Gnostic faith where the rubber of our faith doesn't hit the road of life. He says, I'm going to bring it all the way down to your neighborhood and tell you to love the people who have done the worst things to you in your life. You see, he won't let us just have a disembodied faith. He says, I want this to hit the road of your life. And then he began to point out to me as I wrestled more and more, because just like y'all, I got folks that I don't want to love, folks I don't want to deal with, folks I don't want to forgive. And here's the truth. They're normally people close to us, ain't they? And what Jesus says is that, look carefully at the text, look at what he says, even before we get to love your enemies. I say, okay, what you didn't say before that? He says, but I say to you who hear, 
And that word hear, listen, anytime you read in the Bible and the Bible is telling you to hear, it's never just talking about the vibration of air molecules up against your eardrum and your nerve in your ear going up to your brain so that you can process sound. It's always talking about obedience to what God says. You see, when the first time we see this in the scripture in a theologically substantial way is in Deuteronomy 6, the Shema, which is the, the, the faith statement of Israel when he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And hear there doesn't just mean listen. It actually, the word for hear in Hebrew is the same word, check this out, for obey. And so what Jesus is saying, when he says to you, but I say to you who hear me, he's talking to those who are gathering, saying they are followers of Jesus, that what I am about to say to you is the bedrock of my ethical teaching. Yes, I want you to make mental assent to the, 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 the doctrines of salvation by faith and salvation by faith alone and the deity of Christ and the substitutionary atonement of Christ. But Jesus is saying that if you're going to live how I live, this is the bedrock of my teaching. And it begins with love, agape, selfless giving of yourself to people who want to destroy you. And I'm going to tell you why this is so terrible. Because, check this out, we're talking about loving our enemies. And some of y'all are like, I ain't going to be feeling this message. You know, I already decided. And it's cool. I can dig it. I was writing this message. This is one of the messages I was writing. Ain't feeling it. But what I thought, I'm going to tell you the dissonance. Because check this out. We're talking about loving our enemies. We don't even love our neighbors. <laughs> like, we can't. I mean, think about it. We don't even love, especially in this country, we don't even love our own countrymen. We've been programmed to view one another as enemies. We, we don't love people who are, can, who are close to us, who are connected to us. We don't love anybody. So we're talking about our enemies, God. We haven't even figured out how to be neighbors first. In this text here where it says that I want you to bless, to love your enemies, do good those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who abuse you. Praying, blessing, loving, and doing good to people is the basics of what you do as being a good neighbor to everyone. And we don't even do that to the people who are close to us. And then it was not lost on me, the fact that we don't do this for people who are close to us. But it also wasn't lost on me that I was studying the scripture as I looked at news outlet after news outlet after I scrolled down my Instagram and I saw videos and pictures of dead Palestinian babies. It wasn't lost on me that I was studying this passage as I looked at news channel after news channel after I read text after text, after I looked at pictures and I talked to my Palestinian friends and my Jewish friends about 1,300 people who were kidnapped out of Israel and who were murdered and babies who were burned. I, let me tell you, I got a six-month-old baby in my house. And I looked over at my baby as I looked at dead babies in Gaza. And let me tell you something. I'm a whole Christian. And you kill or you touch my baby, we're going to have a long way to go. I understand why the Palestinians are upset. I understand why Gaza is where it is, and I also understand why Israel retaliated, because when you start killing my kids and my family and my wife, I don't want to hear nothing that this text is saying at all. And I began to go through in my brain, what would happen if somebody came in here and took my six-month-old child or my nine-year-old girls or my 12-year-old girls? They better go and find somewhere to be. And so I began to wrestle with it. And then the Lord asked me some questions because says, okay, you can't love your neighbor. And then you want to, you, you, you talk about what you would do if somebody go here and do this. And, and, and then, you know, he was like, what you, what you going to do? Where are we going? Because you, now you understand why it's a 3,000 year old circular conflict that's been going on for 3,000 years. And listen, before we get lost in Israel and Gaza, let's come on back to America. Because for 400 years, black folks and white folks ain't been able to figure it out. 
In fact, we are living right now in this moment, we are absolutely one police shooting away from everything erupting again, ain't we? We are one piece of discrimination or one national news story of something happening of us erupting. And Lord, heaven forbid, y'all do know it's a presidential election coming up next year. And what God said to me is that somebody has to be brave enough to break the chain of hate. Because everything in us, everything in us want to retaliate tit for tat. That's why people of God, Refresh Community Church, y'all need to know that this church is a miracle Please don't just get used to coming in here with people from every tribe, tongue, people, and language worshiping together, loving to Jesus. Lord, have mercy. White folks submitting to a pastor from Detroit with dreadlocks. This is insane, okay? (laughs) Doesn't make sense. I was at a summit in Charleston, South Carolina two weeks ago. And we were talking about this reality, and they were saying, this, this is crazy. What, what is happening? I was there, and I was at Mother Emanuel, and we talked about the reality that our church exists, and other churches like ours around the country exist as we stood on the steps of Mother Emanuel. And if y'all don't know what happened at Mother Emanuel in Charleston, South Carolina, that was the place where Dylan Roof, a white supremacist, walked in and murdered nine African-American parishioners who were kind to him after Bible study. You see, we should hate each other. We should despise each other. And so, but what do we do? Jesus says, be brave enough to break this chain of hate. Listen what Dr. King, the apostle of love, actually says. He says, hate for hate only intensifies the existence of hate and evil in the universe. The strong person is the person who can cut off the chain of hate, the chain of evil, and inject within the very structure of the universe that strong and powerful element of love. He said that if you keep going, if you want to retaliate, and it's easy to retaliate, everything in us wants to retaliate, but here's the reality. He says you exist in the cycle and that Jesus, far from being, here's his words, far from being an impractical idealist, Jesus has become the practical realist. The words of this text glitter in our eyes with a new urgency. Far from being the pious injunction of a utopian dreamer, this command is an absolute necessity for the survival of our civilization. Yes, it is love that will save our world and our civilization, love even for our enemies. Dr. King says the only way that we get out of this is if we break the chain of hate. And that's what we're doing in this church, and that's what we're praying the Lord does. And I know what y'all are saying. I can hear your thoughts right now. All right, Lord, that sounds good. Love your enemies. Bless those who pray. Okay, cool. Fine. I'll grant you that. You know I don't want to do it. I know you don't want to do it. How? Right? How does this work? This sounds good, warm fuzzies, Dr. King. It ain't even Dr. King Day. We a whole three months ahead, you know, all of America gonna all of a sudden love Dr. King, all this stuff. You're ahead of the game. Appreciate you, bro. How do we do it? And I prayed. And I said, Lord, how do we gain the mental and spiritual and emotional fortitude and dexterity to do this? And like Dr. Strange said in Endgame, the Lord said, there's only one way. I, I, I prayed, I wrestled with Jesus, I, I, I talked through it, we, we, we fought, we did all the things. The Lord said, there's only one way, and he said, you have to just let me, you have to trust me enough to let me be God. That's the only way this works. And so that's your sermon title for the day, if you were waiting for one, that we have to have enough faith to let God be God. The only way this works, people of God, listen to me very carefully because I just confessed all my sins and my own retaliatory nature and all the things I do to somebody that fools with me and mine. But God said the only way you can overcome that natural impulse in an unjust world is if you let me be God. There's only two ways that I think we can open this up in a way the scripture gives it to us. I think we have to have enough faith to let God be the judge. 
We have to have enough faith to let God care for our person. That's it. The only way we can actually live out, because this is impossible. Let me be clear. It is impossible in our own strength. That's why we got a 3,000-year-old conflict in Israel and Gaza. That's why we got 400 years of discrimination and hate, and our country is always a powder keg here. It's because it is something in our fallen nature that want to make ourselves judge, jury, and executioner. And God says, you got to let me be God. Let me be the judge. And you got to let me protect your person. So I'm just going to unpack this for a few minutes, and I'll be out your way. And so I want to talk about what it means to have enough faith to let God be the judge. First of all, why am I I talking about faith? You're like, Carlos, I don't see faith in the passage. This is because I believe faith in this text is like the firmware running under the software. I believe it's like an undercurrent under a river that is running in an opposite direction that's helping the river to get some traction. Without this, you can't actually get there. And what the Lord showed me is that if you're going to love your enemies, you're going to do good to those who hate you, you're going to bless those who, pray, who, who curse you, then you have to trust me. And trust goes beyond simply the moment of faith when we believe that Jesus is Lord. It is that. But faith or trust in Jesus is the day-to-day putting our will, our way, our way of doing things aside and embracing Jesus' way of doing things. Jesus says, not just are you going to trust that I'm some guy that's sitting up in the sky at the right hand of God. I am that. But are you going to trust everything I said so much so that you are willing to let go of your right to avenge yourself and trust that I'm judge enough to deal with it? And so I believe that we have to have enough faith to let God be the judge. Now, let me be clear. Loving your enemies does not mean that we eschew justice. Don't confuse revenge and justice. You see, God says, I want you to put aside revenge. I want you to put aside the right to avenge yourself. I want you to put aside the idea that you become the judge and you become the one who can give and take away life. I want you to put that aside because you're not God. But that does not mean that we put away the idea of justice, of right and wrong. And how, how do I know this? How do I realize this? Because of the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, in the cross of Christ, we see both the justice and the love of God. You see, God is so righteous. He is so just. He keeps everything the way it is because he is God enough to say that I can't just wink and pass over sin. So I, as the exhaustive, truly transcendent God, I have to pour out all of my wrath on sin because my creation and human beings and image bearers have been destroyed by sin. So I have to judge it on the only being who has enough capacity to bear that judgment. I believe, I was saying with the Romans class this week, I believe that Jesus Christ, that, that the, ju- the substitutionary atonement of Christ is one of the single greatest arguments for the deity of Jesus. Because how can you bear the wrath of an infinite God that is wrath on behalf of almost an infinite amount of human beings who are also themselves made in that same image of God? You've got to be God to bear that level of wrath. And God is so much a God of justice that he says, I will never acquit the guilty. This is Exodus 34. I will never look quick to guilty, but he is also a God of love. And I believe that justice is what love looks like in a broken world. And so what God says is that you have to trust that I'm a God of justice. This is why we needed those woes before. I know some of y'all came in like, oh my gosh, woe is this, woe is that. This is because you need to know that God loves you enough to bless you. He has enough love to call you to, 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 to love your enemies, but he is also just enough that you can trust him to have your back. Because he is telling you not to judge others. He is telling you not to avenge yourself. But he is saying, you need to know that I'm not going to let people off the hook. 
And why do we, okay, we can know this, okay, God, this is why you need to go to the Old Testament. Don't, you know, I know it's been popular, some theologians are like, we need to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. Now we need a God of justice. We need a God that will judge and deal with sin because we have an unjust, broken world and we need things, to, someone who can make wrong things right. But, okay, all right, I, I hear you because I know I'm reading this. And I'm like, all right, fine. You're a God of justice and all this stuff, but you want me to trust you to handle my enemies. Ah, it's still hard. Nah. Okay, I get it in my brain, but I don't want to do it. And here's why we still, we know that God's a God of justice. Why don't we want to do it? Because we think he'll take too long. Let's just be honest. That's why we don't want to trust God. And in fact, we think he might mess around and have mercy. on <laughs> like, I, we don't, like, can, I, can he keep it real? Like, I don't want you to have mercy on them. I want you to, to, to I'll just say, smite them. I want you to, I want them smoting, okay? Like, I, I, don't, I know you're a God merciful, abounding in mercy and hesed and all them other big Hebrew words. I want, I want you to, to, to drop, the, like, that's what I want. And this is not a new, this is not a new desire, people of God. This is, this is not a new desire. This is a, we see this in the Psalms. The, the psalmist says, Psalm 73 says, as for me, my feet almost stumbled and my, my feet had nearly slept, slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of wicked, for they have no pangs unto death. Their bodies, check this out, they're fat and sleek. That's back when being fat meant she was rich. They're fat and sleek and they are not in trouble as others are and they are not stricken. God, you just let them go on and do what they want to do. Sound like Jonah. This was Jonah in that well. Like God said, go and preach to the Ninevites. He said, I don't want to preach to the Ninevites. They have been oppressive. They've hurt our country. They've destroyed our women. They've killed our children. I don't want to preach to them. So I'm going to get in the boat. You said go to the east and I'm going to go to Europe. I'm going to go to Barcelona and have myself an all expense paid trip around the Mediterranean because I'm not preaching to them people. And after spending three days in a big fish and hopping out smelling like a fish sandwich... He finally went and preached, and guess what? The people repented, and he was mad. He, this is the first mad preacher after a, a revival, ever. The whole city got saved. It's like a preacher's dream. I preached a sermon, whole city got saved. Dude was mad, like big mad. We actually don't want God to be merciful to these people because they are not merciful to us. But here's the truth of the matter, people of God. Here's what we have to know, that forgiveness... And release does not mean eschewing justice. Because I just told you that God is justice and it also does not mean an eschewing um, of accountability. We know this. How do I know this? Because in 1 Corinthians 5, you see Paul turn somebody over for justice so that they can be saved. Check this out. There's a guy who, who was unrepentant. He says, I have turned him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. Check this out so that his soul may be saved in the day of Jesus Christ. What, what does that tell us? That tells us that justice and mercy can coexist because it coexists in the cross. We get God's justice, but he, we get his love in not condemning us eternally. This means, so let me say this really clearly, this does not mean, because this whole passage got a whole word about abuse. Let me be really clear. Here at Refresh Community Church, if we get allegations of abuse, we will not just say, well, forgive the offender and there's no accountability. No, we can both forgive and release to God to be the judge, jury, and executioner and turn them over to the Justice Department and a lot of police do what they need to do because they can have the flesh dealt with so that they can actually come to repentance in the spirit. You see, it is not to deal with. And so what we're talking about here, when Jesus is saying, 
that I want you to forgive is actually a release to God to do what only God can do. When we say, God, I'm going to let you be the judge, it's a releasing God. It's us saying, you know what, I'm not going to put myself on the throne of God. Yes, again, don't pit revenge and justice. Revenge is not justice. It's saying I'm going to step off the throne of revenge. We're still going to deal with justice, but I'm going to let God be just, and I'm going to let the appropriate people be just, but I'm not going to become God in that space. And not only that, here's where the gospel of art comes in. Then I'm going to treat them like they're my neighbor. Because I've released them to God. You see, treating them like their neighbor means exactly what this passage says. Loving them. Blessing them. Praying for them. And forgiving them. And so when I do that, it's like a holy unbotheredness that I have. Check this out. It's amazing. Has someone ever done something to you and you go about living your life and flourishing right in their face, even in the midst of that? It's a holy unbotheredness, not because you forgot, not because there's not accountability, but because they have been committed to God for God to deal with. I've actually done this before. You know, there was somebody, I ain't gonna, I won't go too much into it, but I wanted to smack them, okay? I'm just leaving it there. I, there was this person that I just wanted to mete out judgment. Everything in me wanted them to experience the full wrath of these hands. Hands, okay, and I just felt it would make them a better person. You know, uh, like Mike Tyson said that the whole problem with this world is that people on the internet they got used to saying crazy stuff to people and not getting punched in the mouth. That's from the philosopher Mike Tyson, and I agree with him. And but God wouldn't let me do that. In fact, the Lord said, "I want you to be kind to them." The Lord reminded me of what Romans 12 says. It says, "If your enemy is hungry, feed him." If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on their head. And so I began to not only did I not mete out my version of justice, but I allowed God to be God. And I treated them as my neighbor. I treated them with kindness. I loved them. I, I showed them the grace of Jesus. And when I say the Lord beat the brakes off that person, I ended up praying for mercy for him. Because here, here's my point. God is better and got better hands than you have. You see, there's a text. There's a reason why the text says, calls God, talks about the strong arm of the Lord. There's a reason the Bible talks, calls him Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of armies. There's a reason why God says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. There's a reason why Yolanda Adams saying, the battle is not yours, but it's the Lord's. It's because God can defend you better than you can defend yourself. You know, it, it, it's fascinating to me um, because I think what the scripture is actually telling us is that we need to get free. Because here's the reality, and I was reading a lot of stuff on this as I prepared for this message. I was reading uh, Dr. King and Desmond Tutu and Nelson Mandela. And what's fascinating is that all those folks have, been, uh, have experienced more oppression and pain and hurt than I ever will. And yet they talk so much about forgiveness and grace. And here was the theme that I, that I noticed that, that went through all of these different writers was that there was this sense in which the person who has hurt you, who has cursed you, yes, even has abused you, becomes the person who imprisons you if you won't release them to God. And here's the reality. That treating that person as a neighbor, showing love, releasing them, and even showing kindness and treating them as a neighbor demonstrates that they no longer have power over you. Some of us, and I want to talk right to us because here's the truth, some of us are still in prison from people we haven't forgiven years ago, and they are wrecking our marriage, they are wrecking our friendships, they are wrecking our mental health, and God is saying, turn them over to me and let me bear the weight of justice for them because you're not built to hold it. 
you know, I was thinking through this. And I was thinking about how we need to be healed and set free from this. How we need to release and, and need to learn how to live in the freedom that Christ has given us by releasing him to be the judge. And it made me think about this, this uh, interview I saw with Tyler Perry a few years ago. And Tyler, he was talking, he was talking to Oprah about a gentleman from his church, check this out, who had abused him as a child. He said this man had abused him for years as a child. And he never told anybody from his church growing up. And then this man died. And Tyler said, no one knew, never told anybody. He says, and then, because they didn't know, by this point, he's wealthy. He's Tyler Perry, the, the mogul, the billionaire. This family from his old church calls him and asks him to pay for the funeral of this man who had abused him for years. Tyler said, here's what he said, and I quote, he said, I quickly said no, understandably so, because this man had took something from him that he could never get back. He says, so I quickly said no. But listen to what Tyler said after that. He says, but I wish I would have said yes. There is something so powerful to me in burying the man that abused me. Here's my point, people of God. Tyler realized, I think there's a lot of reasons he said that, but one I guarantee you is that he realized that had he paid for the funeral, yes, it would have been a kindness to that family. Yes, it would have gave the man who took so much from him. It would have given him dignity. But more than anything, it would have demonstrated that Tyler had power over that and that that situation didn't have power over him. And people of God, there are people who have us in prison because of what they've done to us. And listen, I know I'm talking about a hard thing. I know that some of us are going through our minds with family members and parents who have neglected us, who have emotionally and physically and sometimes, yes, even sexually abused us. But here is what I am suggesting to us in this moment. It is time, and Jesus is saying to us, it is time for us to be free from that prison. It's time to give it over to me so that not, it's not that you askew justice and it's not that I haven't even had time to get into concepts of reconciliation because that's its own beast that I will tell you this, reconciliation takes two to tango. But forgiveness, you can just release them to God and you can be free. And there are some things that some of us need to bury because just like Tyler, we've become enslaved to it. And we might be successful, we may have money, we may have doctor in front of our name, we got, might have a lot of zeros in the bank, and there are people from our past that we have not re released, and we have not learned to bless instead of curse, we have not learned to pray for instead of hate, and they're still controlling and ruling our life. And so, I know it's a hard thing. But I believe what Jesus says here, that we have to, it's going to take a supernatural empowerment of the Holy Spirit for us to have enough faith to let God be the judge. But then... I also believe this text is telling us that we have to have enough faith to let God protect our person. Look at verse 29. This is where we get, we finally at the infamous smack passage. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other. And to one who would take away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic. Now look here. What if I told you that the, everything, the, the smack matters, is important. But the thing is never just a thing. What Jesus is getting at, before he tells you, hey, look. I want you to actually pray for these people. I want you to actually love them. I want you to actually do good to them, but they might not receive it. And what he is saying, I want you to be so steeped in Christ. I want you to be so committed to what I'm telling you that even if the person, when you extend yourself to them, does not repent, that they don't pull you down to their level of reciprocity. 
In other words, he's saying, I don't want my disciples to get caught up in this tit-for-tat disrespect and pain uh, because they are, my disciples are committed to living according to my ethic. Martin Luther King put it this way in his sermon, The Most Durable Power. He says, let no one pull you so low as to hate them. This is the breaking of that chain. People of God, somebody has to break the cycle. And Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, it has to be my disciples. It's a hard thing. But he says... You have to break the cycle. But then he goes on to say, so when I talk about God preserving our person, trusting God enough that says to God, listen, I'm going to trust you to take care of me. He adds to it because he doesn't only talk about the tit for tat and the revenge. Then he goes on to verse 30. Look at verse 30. He says, give to everyone who begs from you. And from the one who takes away your goods, don't demand them back. He says, listen, I want you to trust me enough to know that your emotional, physical, mental, and everything is wrapped up in my love and care for you. And you need to know that you are so unenslaved to your materialism that you are able to trust it to me and to give it away and not even worry about it because you trust that I'm going to take care of you. Y'all do know that this is the first question. In the New City Catechism, we're doing this on Wednesday nights during Grow Night. And this is what we're teaching kids back there, by the way. First question in New City Catechism asks this question. What is our only hope in life and death? The answer to this catechism question is incredible. That we are not our own, but we belong, body and soul, both in life and in death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. This means... That God's care is comprehensive enough in life and death, body and soul, for me to live on the edge and live out the ethics of Jesus and to love people who mean me harm. And people of God, the only way you can do that, listen to me, our broken, fallen human nature will never do it. Our broken fall, everything in us, you are recoiling at what I'm saying right now. You are thinking of every reason why not right now. And, and what I'm saying to you is that the only way it works is if we trust Jesus enough to take the risk on doing what he says. Now, now look, I, 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 know, I know this is a tough thing. This, 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 is, this is a hard thing. And, you know, it made me think about this, this text here. Um, it was very literal for me. I had to live this out in a very literal way. Um, this right here where it says, um, you know, that uh, verse 29, the one who takes away your cloak, that's your coat. Do not withhold your tunic, that's your shirt either. Um, so this one time I was robbed at gunpoint, okay? Um, and I didn't have a better way to segue. That's just what happened, okay? Um, robbed at gunpoint. It was insane. Um, and so... I was, uh, I was about, I think I was 18, maybe 19 at best, still living in Detroit. Now, I had done what you should do at that age. I had went to work, okay? I was coming home from work, had just got off the bus, um, was walking home. I had a very nice leather coat, very nice. It was like four, $500, nice leather coat, especially for 18, 19 year old. But you want to know how I got it? I worked and saved my money, and I bought it, okay? And so I'm walking home this very nice leather coat. Um, and it was the fall. Um, and how do I know it was the fall? Because I could hear leaves rustling on the ground. It sounds like it's going to be a nice story, don't it? Um, hear leaves rustling on the rustle of the leaves on the ground. And I'm walking home from the bus stop, um, and I hear the leaves rustling in the background. And I say, wow, listen to that gentle breeze. Turn around. Turns out it wasn't a gentle breeze with leaves blowing around. It was two of my, uh, I'm going to call them my countrymen. Two of my countrymen with the biggest Glock I've ever seen in my life. Um, And they were running through the leaves, just frolicking through the leaves with a pistol and ski masks and running up on me, okay? Um, This is a true story. This really happened to me. Not joking. Um, So they run up on me and I say, well, this is crazy. 
And uh, I mean, honestly, <laughs> I mean, I was, my first thought, I was looking at them because they was a ways off. I could see them running towards me. I'm like, that is a big pistol. Like, I'm trying to figure out, like, what kind of, where did they get that from? That's huge. Um, but anyhow, I immediately stopped. And the Lord was so kind because he gave me this peace that to this day is just supernatural. It's, it's absolutely supernatural because you should not have peace in a moment like this. I simply turned around. I put my hands up. I just did this. Brothers got up on me. You know, they talk crazy. Hey, what you got, big dog? You know, talking about stuff. I say, hey, bro. I ain't got nothing. Go ahead, take it. Took my coat off. Very nice coat. Today, it would still be a nice coat. Took my coat off. Um, they took all the stuff off. What you got? They ran all my pockets. They took, um, I only had $12. When you grew up where I grew up on Six Mile, you know, you don't carry more than 20 bucks. It's just, you just don't because things like this happen. So they took the $12 I had. Not a lot of money. Um, they took my cell phone. This is back when cell phones flipped. Like, so they took, <laughs> took my flip phone. Took that and took my wallet. And I had a small pocket-sized Bible in my pocket. They took everything. And then, this is where it gets scary, they say, lay on the ground. And I say, well, Jesus, it's been a good run. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for these 18 or 19 years on earth. It's been real. See you in a few minutes. Um, and uh, so I laid there, hands on the ground, amongst the beautiful leaves. And I'm laying there. And then I heard the frolicking of the countrymen, uh, running away, and they didn't shoot me, praises be to God. They just ran off, took my stuff. So I stood up, I'll never forget going home to my grandma, I walk in the house, my grandma say, fool, why you ain't got no coat on, it's cold outside. Uh, <laughs> it's like, grandma, I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but think about it, did I, did I have a coat when I left? She's like, you did have on a coat, where your coat on, what's it happening? You know, then she go into full grandma mode. I was like, grandma, they robbed me on the corner, I was on the corner, I probably went to school with these dudes or something, like they, they you know. But here's what happens. After this, so they literally took my coat. I offered the shirt; they didn't want it. They just, it was a work shirt. They just wanted the coat. Um, so I said, "I'll say I did what you said." Um, but here's what happened. About a week later, I got a package in the mail, in a box. I opened this box. This is a true story, and it was my wallet. It was my Bible, and it was my phone. Now they kept the twelve dollars. Uh, and the coat. <laughs> they weren't that beneficent. You know? <laughs> they went, they went, went and got a McChicken or something. They, hey, they couldn't get much with $12. Uh, but, but they sent me my wallet, my Bible, and my phone. Because when you open my Bible, I mean, when you open my phone, my little flip phone, I had a scripture on the front of it. It talked about Jesus. I had a Bible that was highlighted up for me reading on my, on, my, on my break. I was a telemarketer. On my break from bothering people, I read my Bible and highlighted it up. <laughs> and so, now I had no choice in the moment um, to give them my coat and things. I was under duress. So I did what was asked of me. But here's my point. In these people robbing me, they experienced the gospel in a way they would not have otherwise. And I don't know whether they got saved. I don't know what Jesus did in their life. But here's what I know. They encountered the gospel so much that the people who had the audacity to pull a gun on me and take everything I had also had the kindness to send me back my stuff. Because they realized they had robbed somebody who knew God. Here is my point, child of God. And here's what this got to do with this text. Sometimes your vulnerability can let people see Jesus in ways they never would have. You don't get a whole lot more vulnerable than laying on the ground with a gun to the back of your head. And yet, that was the very thing that God used to show them Jesus. 
And so you may think that your vulnerability, that your weakness, that people doing things to you and all this, I I get it. Please don't hear me making light of it. But what I am suggesting to you is that we go out on the limb and do what Jesus says. He has plans and ways to show people the gospel that we could never imagine. And so as I get ready to wrap up, I'm pretty much done. I would say this to you, that we often read this text and we read ourselves as victims. You see, we see ourselves in this text as those who need to love our enemies, as those who need to do good, as those who need to bless, and those who need to pray for those. But Jesus won't allow us to see ourselves only in the lane of a victim. He forces us to see ourselves through the limbs, through the lens of the offender. Look at verse 31. He says, and as you wish that others would do to you, you do that to them. Here's what Jesus does in that one phrase. We call it the golden rule. He totally inverts the lens through which we see this, lens, this text that we are the victims. And he says, actually, sometimes you're the robber. He says, you know, sometimes you're the enemy who needs to be loved. Treat them how you want to be treated. Sometimes you're the person who is hating and you need somebody to do good to you. He says, sometimes you're the one who is cursing others and you need them to bless you. Sometimes you are the one who has, Lord forbid, misused and abused people. And he says, you need them to pray for you. You see, we always read this as we're the ones who are always on the receiving end of abuse. But the truth of the matter is, every single one of us have cursed people. Every single one of us have hated others. All, every single one of us have misused people. And God says that the same grace and mercy that you want when you mess up, because you know that, that's what we do, right? When somebody else do it, we want judgment. But when we do it, we say, Lord, we did say the same thing. You know, we've seen it. Maybe we've been it. That, that parent in the courtroom, that the kid did everything under the sun. And we say, oh, but he a good boy. She a good girl. And guess what? Here's the crazy part. The parent ain't lying. But all of us have a doppelganger, right? All of us have a Jekyll and Hyde. And yes, it's true that maybe you have experienced brokenness and, 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 and pain and people hating on you. But the reality is you've also been on a giving end. And just like you would say, but God, and this is how we stand before God. God, I'm a good guy. God, I'm a good girl. And God says, listen, if you've done it to nobody else, you've been my enemy. If you hated nobody else, you've hated me. If you've cursed nobody else, you've cursed me in your heart when life didn't go your way. If you've hated nobody else, God says that you have robbed me in your green selfishness. You have slapped me in my cheek by playing in my face with your sin. And you, according to Hebrews, have crucified me afresh to you. God says that the same mercy that you want, I want you to go and do likewise. You see, we need to know, and this is the power of the incarnation, this is the power of the gospel, that Jesus doesn't call us to do anything he hasn't done. Because he was slapped in the face. He had his beard ripped from his face. He had rivets driven in his hands. He had rivets put in his feet. And we put him there. That is what your salvation costs. And the Bible says that while we were still sinners, that's what? Christ died for us. And so listen, I, I, I want to be really clear. I know what I'm saying is difficult. And I'm not even going to pretend that we can wrap this up in a nice little bow and a sermon. Here's what I would say. Christ calls us. He says, I don't want you to do anything that I haven't already done. But what he says is, look, man, 
it's hard. As we talk through the sermon, I'm, I, I promise you, some of us are probably thinking about people who have abused us, who have misused us. I know I have. I wrestled through this text. Because guess what? They're not the people at your job, really. They're family members. They're folks you went to church with. They're former friends. They're the people with proximity to you. I can't go into it now. It's not the time. But I could talk to you about abuse. I'd have been there. And brothers, we need to talk about it. Many of us have been there. Physically, sexually, mentally, emotionally. I know what it's like. I know what it's like to have parents who ain't what they need to be in your life. And here's the reality. Forgiveness, man, it can take work. It's a process. And we got, there are a couple resources we got here. One of them, I want to encourage you, listen, if you need to get on that road, and Jesus is enough, here's what I love about Christ. He is patient, he is gentle and lowly. He is willing to walk with you along that road. And he'll walk patiently with you. If you need help with that, we got licensed counselors who serve in our church, Kara's house, who will walk with you through that process of forgiveness and and healing and and reconciliation is his own deal and the hard conversations, all the things that go with that. People of God, the truth of the matter is healing from this is not a one-time moment. It's often a lifetime of work. And here's what we know. Jesus is patient enough to walk with us. Here is my ask from you, though, that you would start the process. Not that you would fix it all or everything be okay today, but that you would trust Jesus enough to start to open your heart to being willing to think about what it means to love your enemies, to pray for the people who have hurt you the deepest. And so I want to invite you. We're going to pray. We're going to sing some songs. We're going to worship. We're going to take communion. During that time, the altar will be open. Some of us need to come, and we got some burns we need to lay down, and we need to pray, and we need to commend ourselves to the Lord. There will be brothers and sisters who can do that with you, who can pray for you, who can walk with you. Maybe you need prayer for something that's not even about anything I've talked about. You just need prayer, and it ain't related to the sermon at all. Listen, there will be brothers and sisters here, but here's what I want to tell you. Jesus is faithful. Jesus loves you, and he will empower you to live out what he calls you to do. I just want to invite you to come to him so that you can receive that power. Let's pray. Eternal God, our Father, God, this is, this is a hard ask, especially for those of us who have been abused, who have been hurt, not by strangers and random folks on the internet, but by people who are close to us. Father, I pray, God, your word says that a bruised reed you won't break and a smoking flax you won't quench. In other words, you're so gentle. God, and many of us are broken. God, don't break us. God, I pray that by your power and through your spirit, you will pour in the oil and the wine and bring healing in these places in our lives so that we can live out what you have called us to live out. God, because the truth is, we all stand in need of your grace and your forgiveness. And we ask that you would give it to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let us stand together and worship. The altar is open if you need prayer. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray this message has impacted you in a meaningful way. If you want to know more about how Jesus can change your life, we would love to connect with you further. Send an email to hello at refreshcommunity.church or come visit us at 829 North Hanley Road in University City, Missouri. Be sure to subscribe and share the podcast with your friends. Thanks for listening and see you next time.